Well, if you're hearing that music, that means that it's in time for another episode of Your Money in 20, the podcast from your friends at Woodward Financial Advisors. This is Ben Birkin, Certified Financial Planner at Woodward Financial Advisors, joined by Victor Colella, also Certified Financial Planner at Woodward Financial Advisors. Victor, how you doing? I can't complain today, Ben. Um, in the office, like for the last episode as well, but it's always a special occasion where you get to put some you know, work clothes on and drive to the office like before times. Nothing is preventing you from putting on work clothes in the comfort of your own home, uh, outside of your own approach to morals <laughs> and societal norms, but we'll leave that alone. As it is, I'm actually in the office too. So we've got this very surreal thing where you and I are right now physically separated by like a quarter inch of drywall. Um, but I have not seen you <laughs> except for visually on our Slack channel. So um, these are the times we live in. Go yeah, 2020. Totally normal. Yep. So we thought we would actually take a little bit of a departure from some of our other episodes and talk something about something a little bit more on the investment-related side. And it's a question that we get regularly from clients specifically about how to approach getting money into their investment accounts. And we're not talking about account transfers or things like that, but it's more specifically, I've got this chunk of cash. I know I want to get it invested. What's the best way to do it? Would that be a fair way to set it up? Uh, yeah, that sounds fair. and and. You know, we get it, the question or have these conversations a lot more in times like now, where there's uncertainty, where uh, maybe markets are at highs or lows or swinging wildly. Um, so I think it's a timely conversation topic and, and one that you would think would be simple, but it really isn't. There are so, there's some nuances to it, which makes it good for a conversation. Yeah. And I can think of a couple of examples recently where this has come up where clients might have sold a house or they might have gotten a bonus or gotten a big gift from a family member. And they've got this chunk of cash and they say, okay, now what? Right. I want to get it invested. Now what? And we usually break that down into I'll call two good choices and then a third not so great thing that we're going to disregard right away. But it's basically <laughs> do I put all the money into the investment account at once. Or do I dribble it in maybe over a, a particular time frame, which in our world, it's got a name. It's called dollar cost averaging. Um, the third one is more of a, hey, is now a good time to invest and should we wait for a better opportunity? And we call that market timing and we're going to take that, put it in a little bit of box and uh, put it outside for the recycling people to take. Yeah, <laughs> we're not we are not market timers. Uh, and that's all we'll say about that. But uh, yeah, Ben, and I'll I'll give it I'll make it concrete here just quickly. Is all right. So you've got twelve thousand dollars that you want to put into the market. Do you put twelve thousand in today, or do you put one thousand in for the next twelve months? Same dollar amount every month for the next twelve months. Put it on auto autopilot, uh, and by the end of twelve months, you're fully invested. So again, same dollar amount every month. Um, if you've got a 401k or a 403b, you've actually been doing this and you might not have known you were doing it or calling that because every paycheck, you have a certain dollar amount going into that account, going into prescribed investment. So in its way, it's nice, right? It's automated. It's easy. You don't have to worry about it, at least as it relates to workplace retirement plans. But large chunks of cash outside of that, that's a little bit more challenging for folks. Yeah. So, so and, and I'll say that the the general logic behind dollar cost averaging 
is your diversity. So we think about diversification in terms of diversifying across different types of investments, but this is basically time diversification put in an, in sort of an odd way where you don't want to put all of your money in today and then the market collapses tomorrow. Meaning that you just uh, got super unlucky and, uh, you know, you bought at a much higher per share cost for all of these investments than if you had split that investment up over the next 12 months, meaning that you have gotten a little bit, one one twelfth in our example in today, but next month you're buying the second twelfth in uh, at a lower price and, uh, you know, wherever the market goes over the next 10 months, you're getting a little bit of each. So time diversification is the basic theory. And I think we'll we'll get into some of the the other elements of this, but you know, as you were describing it to me, I'm putting myself in the shoes of somebody who doesn't think about this all the time, and I think I hear that, and I'm like, that's totally what I want to do. That makes sense. That's got to be the best way to go. And so I'll ask you, Mr. CFP professional, um, <laughs> is that always the best way to go? The the answer for most questions that you address to a CFP professional is going to be that it depends. Perfect. Right, which is totally unsatisfying, but uh, it depends on what who you are. It depends on sort of your your appetite for risk. It depends on your past experiences, and it depends on the time frame. It depends on a lot of things. But Ben, before we start, let's do our disclaimer because we're going to start doing some of our opinions about uh, you know because this is it's a gray area. So let's let's throw that out there. Perfect. So uh, standard disclaimer, um, this podcast is meant to be for informational and educational purposes only. This is not to, meant to replace or provide investment recommendations or suggestions for tax, estate, investment, anything like that. If you have specific questions for your particular situation, please reach out to your financial professionals for that type of advice if we happen to mention any particular security on here, that's not meant to be a recommendation or a suggestion to buy that. And it's possible that if we do mention something that clients of Woodward Financial Advisors may own that security. Okay. Now, Ben, to answer your question a little bit more in detail. So let's talk about some of the pro. Let's start with the pros of putting all of your money into the market today. So we'll do the pros and cons of both. So let's say you put your choosing to do our first option, which is invest all $12,000 tomorrow. Now, if, so let's just talk math first, because we have hundreds of years of history for our, oh, maybe not hundreds, but we have a long, a lot of examples that we can use from history to say, how does this play out from a math perspective? And I like to think of it in the simplest sense, about three quarters of the time, the market is going up. That's why we invest in this, in this, and I'm talking about the stock market in particular right here. On average, the market goes up. So three out of four years, you, you can think of it, are a positive return year. It doesn't work that simply. That's on average. So there are years where that's not true. That's uh, how averages work. But given that simple fact, the math generally says that you are better off putting all your money in the market today. Just having it work harder for you for longer periods of time, basically, right? Exactly. And and part of that, and it doesn't have to be all in stock. So you could, you know, what your correct asset allocation is, is a whole different story. But usually, and, and one of the reasons it's better 
is that let's say your dollar cost averaging over the next 12 months. So a thousand per month for the next 12 months. The, in the first month, 11 twelfths of your money is still in cash, which earns zero. I believe it's zero. <laughs> Basically zero today. And in the second month and third month, you know, you're gradually getting more and more at work. But for that period, a lot of your money is doing a whole lot of nothing, whether you're buying at low cost or high cost in the market. And that plays a big part. So the fancy word for that is opportunity cost, right? Just the opportunity cost of things not working hard for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's the biggest pro is that the math, generally speaking, works in your favor. Uh, so it's a statistical quite right? So the odds are better that with a lump sum, you're going to be better off. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the flip side of that is that there are a lot of ways to cut up the data, but in a general sense, the let's say you know you've got over the last two years you have 24 months of um you know months that you could have invested the lump sum so day one could have been any one of those months um your versus if you were dollar cost averaging versus the lump sum your outcomes are going to be a, a little bit more volatile so said another way if you're dollar cost averaging you're on average not going to be in as good a position as you were if you put it all in a lump sum, but you're going to have a smaller range of outcomes. So it's less risky in that sense where um, you're you're just not taking as much risk all at one time with dollar cost averaging. I can see that. So your highs might be higher, your lows might be lower, your terminal wealth at the end of this two-year period is probably going to be higher with a lump sum. Um, but not necessarily, right? Yeah. Is that kind of a way of framing it? Well said. So that's, I, I guess you could call it a con. Yeah. Uh, and I think too, you know, the, t- capping it at two years makes sense to some people as they're thinking about it. I suppose the other way of thinking about it too, is that if we're talking about like a 10, 20 year, 30 year investment horizon, doesn't matter if you bought in October versus November. Um, probably not, probably not. But having said that, I think we want to acknowledge that math isn't everything. Right. There's a behavioral component to it. If math were everything, we just let computers do it all. We never touch it and everything would be probably better um, than it currently is. But since that hasn't happened just yet and we are humans and have reactions to this, the behavioral side of it might actually point to the dollar cost averaging approach. Right. Yeah. And that's why you'll never hear us disparage it. And we use it with a lot of our clients because sometimes, you know, and I, I know we were talking before this call. I've seen this conversation happen in this context a lot. Maybe in 2008, so this is you know more than 10 years ago now, maybe in 2008 you got out of the market uh, because the, the sky was falling and you've been waiting for the right time to get back in. If dollar cost averaging is, is what gets you there, then, it, then that's always the, the better choice, right? Because what's important is that you're invested – for the long term, so that the, your investment portfolio, that growth can fuel your lifestyle for the rest of your life and fund your goals. That's what's really important. Uh, a big part of this is sort of an academic discussion. If, if you're getting into the market, then if you get there over 12 months or if you get there today, is it that material? Pro- probably not. Yeah. So if the, if the choice is do nothing or dollar cost average, by all means, do dollar cost average, right? Yeah. 
so even though the math might point one way, this is better than doing nothing. The other component of it too is if you behaviorally put that lump sum in and you happen to have that month where things go down by 10%, if that destroys your plan and you know you're going to pull everything out, don't do a lump sum. Do the dollar cost average. Know who you are and acknowledge where your biases are. There's nothing wrong with something that might not mathematically be optimal if it still gets you to a good place overall. Yeah. Right. And, and that's really where this conversation often falls out for us is that uh, whatever gets you there, uh, if it, I mean, that's why I said it depends because it depends on who you are. I may have the risk appetite to dive all, dive in with, you know, with both feet, but not everyone does. Right. Now, having said that, dollar cost averaging does have some limitations, right? It's not perfect. If it was perfect, that's all that we would do. So, you know, one limitation to your point is that you've got an opportunity cost. Maybe that's backed up by you happen to catch the month where things are the worst, and that's great. Um, But there are some other things too, right? Yeah. So one of them is also behavioral. So, I mean, we talk about it being behaviorally, maybe sometimes easier to, to be palatable for some folks, but you have a lot of opportunities to change your mind mm-hmm. when you're dollar cost averaging. So I was talking with a friend recently who, who was just sort of commenting on how every, everything is crazy. The markets are all over the place. Meanwhile, the news is universally bad. And we talk about this a lot. He said, I started to dollar cost average in February this year into the market because he had some uh, some cash that he wanted to get invested. And I stopped in March because there was a global pandemic and, you know, you know, social unrest across the country. And it seemed like a bad time. Now, I know this friend of mine pretty well. So I said, you hit the jackpot. I mean, he he the math works in favor of dollar cost averaging if you start right before the market takes a big nosedive, but only if you continue doing it. Uh, So there are opportunities to change your mind and humans tend to change their mind at the wrong times when it comes to investments. Yeah. There's an off uh, sided saying from Mike Tyson that everybody has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. So dollar cost averaging is a great plan until you get punched in the mouth and realize, oh, I can't continue on. Now, there are ways around that, right? So when folks work with an advisor, the advisor is the one who's doing the purchasing. So, you know, the client sort of doesn't have to worry about pushing the button. I call call that the pushing the button problem. And the other way, too, is to automate it, right? Again, this is why your 401k works so well. It just happens. You don't see it. You don't think about it. And so many of our decisions could be made better if we could just automate them and take that human element out of it. Yep. Um, you know, to me, so that's one big limitation. The other limitation, dollar cost averaging can work really well if you have a pretty simple portfolio. So imagine your portfolio, you only own two things. Um, that's pretty straightforward, especially if there are two things where you don't have to pay any transaction costs to buy and sell them. That's great. The more complicated, complicated is not the right word. I prefer, you know, the more diverse your portfolio, the more asset classes you have, you're potentially chunking those purchases into smaller and smaller increments, which may or may not be meaningful. And that may actually increase your transaction costs over time. On top of the fact, if you only have one account in your dollar cost averaging, again, pretty easy. But if you've got multiple accounts and you're trying to maintain a balance for all of your investments and you're trying to make sure that some investments live in one bucket because they're not so tax efficient and others live elsewhere, it can make things more complicated. 
that doesn't make it wrong, but it can make things more complicated than just saying, I know what I want my portfolio to look like, make it look like that in one fell swoop. Yeah. And, and something that you could do to offset this, uh, you know, all dollar cost averaging plans don't look the same. So some, you know, if you're saying I'm going to buy into the market over the next three years, when we talk about the math working in favor of lump sum investing, the longer your time frame of getting into the market, the, the more likely it is that you're going to be worse off than if you had put it in a lump sum. So six months is a relatively short time frame to, to get into the market. That's more palatable from, you know, the trade-offs in terms of opportunity cost are less the shorter your time frame. So if you need to dip your toe in dollar cost average, those transaction costs, the longer time frame, the more those transaction costs add up. But also, um, the the sort of the smaller the trade-off is in terms of uh, on average, which one's going to return better or worse. So it's not always the same comparison. 12 months, six months, 36 months, there's a big difference. So shorter is generally going to be better. So as short as you can uh, handle from a psychological standpoint. Absolutely. And so that's why I think, you know, when we're approached with this question, which inevitably every year, at least somebody has it, we lay these options out and say, there's no one right way. There's going to be a way that works best for you. Here's what the math says. Let's acknowledge the behavioral component of this. And let's figure out something that's going to allow you to get as close to your goal as you want while still making you feel comfortable about the process. Right. So we just wanted to spend the last 20 minutes with our listeners just sharing, hey, here's how we think about that in this relatively common question. Yeah. And I think that a great place to start is to say, what's my alternative? Mm-hmm. It, if you ever answer that question, wait for a better time, wait till valuations are lower, wait until the stars align in a way that makes you feel comfortable getting in the market. You may be waiting a long time. Don't do that. Uh, but when it comes to choosing between dollar cost averaging or putting a lump sum in, uh, there's probably not a wrong answer. There's just the answer that's right for you. Absolutely. So I think that's probably a good place to wrap up our conversation. Remember, folks, um, if you are enjoying what you're listening to, please tell some other people. You can rate us on Apple Podcasts or any of the other podcasting apps. You can find other episodes on our website at woodwardadvisors.com. You can reach out to Victor and me individually, either at WFA underscore Ben or at WFA underscore Victor on Twitter. Um, If you like what you're listening to and you have questions about it, you can always leave us a comment on the woodwardadvisors.com website and just refer to the podcast in that comment section. Other than that, Victor, am I forgetting anything? I mean, I know I'm forgetting something. I forget every day of my life. There's a link in the description of this episode, wherever you're listening to it. If you want to go and leave a comment or suggest an idea for a podcast, we, we love ideas that come from people who listen. So Absolutely. Um, and that's where this one came from, right? Because we get this question all the time. Exactly. Victor, it's always good chatting with you. Everybody who's listening, thank you so much for spending a little bit of your day with us. And we'll look forward to talking to you next time. Thank you.